and welcome everybody again to another episode of the Blue Panther Podcast. A podcast we are striving to introduce the members of the RPCNA to the pastors of the RPCNA and to serve young and aspiring pastors by gleaning wisdom from men with ministry experience. I am one of your co-hosts, Joe Smith, pastor of Westminster Reformed Presbyterian Church in Westminster, Colorado. My name is Aaron Murray, pastor of Marion Reformed Presbyterian Church in Marion, Indiana, the promised land of the North. And we have as our guest today, David Hansen, senior pastor of Southside Reformed Presbyterian Church in the south side of Indianapolis. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here with you guys. Yeah, it's good to good to have you here, and I know it's uh, fun uh, for both of us, but particularly Joe, who was able to intern uh, under you. So um, I know Joe has sent us some uh, questions to ask you that I think uh, are tailored to some of the strengths that he's seen in you. So no pressure. We've got high expectations for you today. All right. Well, the the first question that we have, and this is something that we uh, we do ask guys who are in these types of ministry experiences or um, context because it's not overly common in the RPCNA to have men um, serving in a co-pastor or senior associate pastor roles. And you've had the uh, blessing to be able to serve as a solo pastor and now a co-pastor, senior associate pastor there at Southside. So could you talk to us about maybe some of the main um, differences ministering in those contexts or contexts? And then what are some blessings and challenges um, of both those contexts as well? Yeah. So um there are there are differences definitely um probably the the first and obvious difference is just that typically a congregation that has two pastors is a little bit larger and so there are more shepherding needs more administrative needs there's just more for the for the pastors to be busy uh doing um so it's a you know they're higher level of activity in the congregation um so that's the that's the big difference. Maybe I'll get into some of it with some of the challenges and the and the blessings of it. Um, I think the um, the blessing that I see for the congregation through a team ministry is there's um, more than one voice and more than one um, set of gifts uh, that are that are represented and. The, the blessing then that can flow from that when it's done well is and actually, you know, I believe that this is true in Presbyterianism in general. I mean, a, a session that works well has the humility amongst its members for guys to be able to say, you know, hey, I'm, I, I feel called to this. I'm, you know, this is one of my strengths, but I'm also weak at something else. You mm-hmm. know, hey, I, I really don't do that well when I teach Sunday school. Can other guys do that? And I'm more than happy to go and do hospital runs or whatever. And I think when a when a co-pastor or multi-pastor situation is functioning well and working well, the guys have a good ability to recognize um, strengths and weaknesses and to work together um, on things. I think one of the challenges is there needs to be. Um, more of a focus on communication and just the two guys have to stay on the same page in terms of who's taking care of what. And I think it's, it is easy for certain things to slip through the cracks if there's not good communication. Um, 
we've also run into this situation. Um, Ian and I have tried to work well. That's Ian Wise is the mm -hmm. associate here. Um, it, we've tried to also be aware of the fact that um, it, there can be congregants who can be more aggressive. I, and I, I mean, in many ways, that's a positive thing, right? People who want time with pastors, mm -hmm. but you can end up with people who, you figure out over time, actually, this person's getting a lot of both of our time, and it's really not fair. It's really, you know, it's not a good balance at this point. And, you know, it's probably somebody we're both friends with and enjoy being around, but just because they tend to take more initiative. And, and you just have to kind of watch for those kinds of um, those kinds of uh, imbalance um, situations that can that can creep up. I think another challenge. Um, in a co-pastorate that's really important, in addition to just the challenge of humility that I already was kind of talking about, and the, you know, exercising gifts and trying to shield one another in weaknesses. Um, another another challenge um, it can be the challenge of trust, um, and particularly coming out of a solo pastorate situation where you've been the one doing everything, having the mindset of, you know, if Ian goes to the hospital, I need to believe that that was a good hospital visit. And I, and I do actually, I mean, Ian's so easy to trust and he's, he's better at so many things than I am. Um, that, but, but I can't be thinking like, well, he went to the hospital today. In my mind, that kind of counts as a half hospital visit because he's not, you know, he's not the senior guy or something like that. And so there's really a need for us to um, trust each other. Something else that I think is a strength that I really enjoy is um, particularly working. I mean, I'm speaking, actually, it's interesting, you know, I'm speaking primarily about my experience here with Ian, but um you know, I, I was 11 years as a solo in state college. Before that, I spent two years as an associate under Bill Roberts. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, I've been, you know, kind of junior associate, you know, then the solo. And then here it's here in Indianapolis, it's more been a co-pastoring situation um, since Ian and I are basically the exact same age and um, have had a long-standing friendship and I um, really enjoy working together. So it's not like he's my junior associate uh, somehow mm -hmm. um, in that regard. Oh, I, I was going to say, I think it um, a strength of it for the benefit of the congregation is, you know, you have two different preaching styles. And Ian and I have talked about, I mean, in some ways, just as you're listening to the other guy and being fed by the other guy's preaching, your preaching styles, and there's a temptation to merge your preaching styles. And we've both talked about consciously trying to avoid that. I mean, it's not that we don't like what the other guy's doing, but, you know, there, there are different ways that people learn and listen. And so to, to feel free to play to our own strengths and not to try to make a, you know, an Ian Hansen style and a David Wise style, mm -hmm. but you know, David Hansen's got a style and Ian Wise has a style and that's good. Yeah. So you um, don't want uh, a Southern draw to start coming into your preaching, you know, so right. you, you might get a kick out of this and Joe might get embarrassed by it, but you know what? 
what have I cared about Joe being embarrassed? Um, <laughs> our nickname for Ian Hansen, or yeah, see, I just did it right then. Ah, you got me. For, for Ian Wise is he's the Matthew McConaughey of the RPCNA because he's got that Southern suave. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he's definitely the better dresser of the two pastors <laughs> at Southside. That's one, you know, that's more of his spiritual gift than mm-hmm. mine. He's he's got a strong. I think he's the game. best dressed. Yeah, right. I think he's. I mean, my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So those are some kind of the the strengths. I actually didn't know that you uh, served as an associate with Bill Roberts. So I'm I'm learning something kind of about your history too. Um, when it comes to kind of the solo uh, pastor role, um, what would you say? Like you, you've mentioned some challenges, um, Justin, your weaknesses in ministry can kind of be highlighted if you're in a solo pastorate, but um, what are some other blessings that that you've seen um, as a solo pastor? And, and I guess I, I'm even curious about this. You mentioned a hospital visit. Um, so if uh, you, you know, you're in a co-pastor role and one pastor goes to visit in the hospital and the temptation is, well, is that half a visit or, you know, do both pastors need to visit? Did you feel the same way in a solo pastorate role? if one of the members of the session uh, would do a hospital visit or did you feel like, no, I actually still need to go. Um, yeah. Some of that would have depended probably on who was in the hospital, you know, and sometimes you're just dealing with congregants and their expectations of you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I would certainly at any time in, in ministry, if I knew that a, ruling elder had gone on a visitation, um, I would feel like that would stretch out how frequently I needed to visit. You know, if somebody's in the hospital for a week in state college, I probably would have tried to make it to the hospital at least twice. But if a ruling elder went, I might feel like I can, you know, I might just go once now or mm-hmm. uh, something like that. So I, I did enjoy um, it. I mean, it certain ways it's a love hate relationship, right? I, I, uh, I did enjoy preaching morning and evening. I mean, it was exhausting in its own way, but to be able to have a New Testament and an Old mm-hmm. Testament series going all the time, um, you know, those were happy times for me. Um, so that was a blessing. I think it's also a blessing. You definitely in a solo pastorate have your finger more on the pulse of the congregation. Um, you know, it's probably similar in one sense to being a solo doctor in a small town versus being in some big medical practice. And, you know, when people come in, if you're, you know, in a solo practice and they come in for their annual physical, you're the one doing it. So you do always, you know, whereas in a group, you might go three years without seeing the person and it's harder to have a pulse on things in certain ways. I do miss, and I, I don't know if this is just the solo versus the dual pastorate as much as maybe a larger versus a smaller congregation. Um, I do lament um, at times not feeling as emotionally connected to particular events in the life of a congregation. So what I mean by that is, for instance, in State College, um, if there was a wedding, and I did a lot of weddings out there, you know, because of the university being there, it, it felt like 
you know, that's the event of this month or even of the next couple months in the life mm-hmm. of the congregation. If somebody's in the hospital, you know, like there's a surgery, that's the thing going on. I mean, not that we weren't having regular worship services and Bible studies, but, you know, there's generally speaking, like one thing on my plate at a time in terms of something bigger like that, you know, it was rare that there would be, I I mean, there was a week actually where I did a, I remember doing a wedding Memorial Day and then the Saturday after Memorial Day. So I did two weddings in a week once, but you know, that was an exception, not the rule. And so I felt like I was more emotionally tied in with the congregation in certain ways um, and more emotionally available um, you know, more hospital runs, that sort of, you know, much higher percentage of, if you're in the hospital, you're going to see David Hansen um, there. Um, so that's something that I, that I, that I miss. And Ian and I have talked about that, both of us having served in mm-hmm. smaller congregations, how sometimes here it more feels like you're running from a, you know, from a funeral to a wedding to it, you know, and it's just things there's just a lot more irons in the fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, one more follow-up and then I'll hand it over to, to Joe. Um, you know, you, you'd mentioned, you know, you feel somewhat disconnected um, in a co-pastorate role in, in a larger church. And you'd mentioned earlier that that communication is really, really important uh, between the two pastors. Uh, what are some ways or things that you and Ian have found helpful regarding keeping those lines of communication open, or maybe some strategies that you guys have put into place um, to help with your communication with one another? Yeah, so, I mean, a couple of things that stand out. Um, I mean, first of all, we, unless there's some sort of scheduling conflict, every Tuesday, you know, basically at nine in the morning, you know, when we both get to, by the time we both get to the office, um, we we have a prayer time together, but it's, it kicks off with a discussion of, how was Sunday? You know, did we, were there visitors? Is there anything, you know, that came up that we should be thinking about? What's your week look like this week ahead? Um, well, um, a lot of times in that time frame, um, and, and this is another strength of having two pastors mm-hmm. is the pastor has a pastor in his life. Yeah. When it's mm-hmm. working well. So a lot of times we're talking about how our kids are doing or, you know, even just, you know, what's up with your family life this week or um, this is not always real heavy stuff by any means, but, you know, just kind of a review. And then we, and then we pray for the congregation and there's prayer for each other during that time. And, and I, I just think it's, and then throughout the course of the week, um, you know, as we're coming and going out of the office and we've set it up so that, um, we have a different day that we take off so mm-hmm. that there's always coverage for the congregation. Um, you know, if there is some sort of emergency, um, but it, through the course of the week, you know, we're comparing notes and, it, um, it, two and sometimes at least two days a week and sometimes three, no, probably more three days a week, three days a week, we're in the office together and we, you know, we're across the wall from each other. So we'll be hollering back and forth. And, um, and, um, and then we've made it our practice. I, I mean, this gets a little more logistical, but um, we have a church secretary. So our practice is just, if she's here and we talk, 
we always close the door and we do that so that it doesn't, I mean, in fact, we might be talking about college basketball, mm-hmm. but the, but just that way it doesn't seem like, Oh, the door got closed. There's some, there must be some congregational crisis for her sake. Mm-hmm. You know, it just kind of makes it uh, smooth. So anyway, I, yeah, I think the uh, communication is key. Um, it, oh, you were asking about, yeah, what, what we've done to foster communication. Um, I think it's also really worked well. Um, yeah, in our case, we both really appreciate one another's ministries. And I already talked about not trying to make our preaching the same, but then even like the way that we administer the sacraments, you know, the verbiage we use and the the way that we do it, we're bringing, both of us are bringing 20 plus, you know, 20 years of pastoral experience in and, you know, we kind of have some habits and we're in grooves and we've really tried to encourage each other. Like, Hey, I think it's great the way you do it because it brings out certain things mm-hmm. in communion that are true and need to be, you know, people need the opportunity to meditate on that. And I'm going to do it this way. And Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's really helpful. And I think uh, even what you said, um, about how you guys shut the door actually shows a lot of love to your secretary, um, like protects her from, Kind of what you're saying, like, well, is there some big crisis? It it keeps her from even the temptation of, of gossip. Um, I know church secretaries have to be very, very um, gifted <laughs> and um, being able to keep things confidential because they do hear a lot. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Sorry, I cut you, Joe. Or I cut you off, Joe. Um, so I hand it over to you now. I will. I will remain silent. It's all good. Um, so yeah, just moving on to the the second question um, for time purposes. So we obviously know that. Um, a pastor needs to be a hospitable man, but what what is the practical place and importance of hospitality in pastoral ministry? And just kind of how do you and your wife uh, practice that, practically uh, speaking? And then just what are some things uh, that you've learned over the years that work well, that seem to go well, and and continue to minister to your congregation? Um, in the area of hospitality. Yeah, so one of the things that we've tried to do over the years, and uh, and by the way, I mean, it, we went into our marriage and um, committed to hospitality. For me, um, growing up, and I, I had the opportunity through some providences of God to spend a lot of time in Jerry and Ann O'Neill's house. Mm-hmm. And they are still, to me, my role models in hospitality. They're the gold standard um, in terms of how to do it well, how to do it right. Um, and I, I just you know, look to them and think back to things that they did. Um, Ruth and I have tried to, um, in terms of doing hospitality, um, do, do some brainstorming about uh, from time to time uh, and over the course of our marriage about venues or um, venues isn't exactly what I mean because we're generally using our home, but um, different approaches that we can use um, in some ways to keep it fresh for us, but also to foster different group dynamics. So 
what I mean by that is, you know, that could be anything from Sunday lunch to snacks after Sunday evening church to, you know, fireside chats with a room full of students or, you know, young professionals. Um, we're doing a hospitality event tonight um, at our house. And the hospitality event tonight is um, we are hosting from 530 till 8 o'clock about 15 kids um, at the at our church so that the parents can go out for, you know, kind of a Valentine's. We're not doing it on Valentine's night, but so mm-hmm. the parents can go out on a date. And we've got like, I don't know, six families coming. And, you know, so we enjoy that too, you know, and that's an area of hospitality where we'll have a great time with these kids. And we got different stations they're going to go around to and, you know, play games at one and, you know, build blocks at another and read books to the third and, you know, that sort. And so we'll feed them a little dinner and all that sort of thing. So um, we've tried to put a lot of thinking into, um, like I was saying earlier, different ways of doing it. So we've hosted formal dinners at our house. Um, Like we had an elder retire and we had all the elders and wives for a dinner at our house and we had out our china and probably served about 20 people at that. Were you at that, Joe? Were you at one of those? Yeah, yeah, I was going to bring that up if you didn't. And you, <laughs> I've copied you uh, here. We had one of those elder dinners, and I remember you had, like, questions hiding under the plates. And uh, so I did the same thing here. Oh, nice. Good, good. <laughs> yeah, so Can I, I ask what were some of the, like, examples of maybe the questions? Yeah, I don't can we come back to that? Those. Yeah, absolutely. That? Absolutely. So, um. Yeah, so, you know, we've done formal things, but we've also said, you know, like, and I happen to marry, like, I'm an, I don't cook at all. Like, I can make a hot dog or something, you know, and I can make ramen on a good day. But, <laughs> like, I married the hospital, you know, I married the person who's can pull a lot, a lot of this off. Um, but I've tried to emphasize in some of these hospitality brainstorms with Ruth, like, hey, you know, there need to be times where we just have people over for salad, soup, and bread and ask them to bring the dessert. And actually, you need this afternoon to not try to do house cleaning and just spend time with the kids and doing school stuff because I think people feel more comfortable or feel like – in fact, I mean, that was that's a fruit of our hospitality ministry at Southside. We we had some people over one time for soup and salad like that. And uh, and the wife said to Ruth afterwards, she's like, we, we were driving home. And I said to my husband, like, well, I can do that. Hmm. You know, I, mm-hmm. I can work up some soup and have salad. Like, I, you know, that's all that this stage, you know. And they started doing hospitality because of that. And whereas I think if Ruth had put on one of her really nice spreads, this couple probably ne- still wouldn't be doing mm-hmm. hospitality. But they really got into it and started, you know, really enjoying having some couples over. And it was actually an older couple in the church who had kind of given up on hospitality and felt like they didn't have the energy for it anymore. So certainly um, we've also over the years tried to brainstorm about Sunday evening uh, menus or emergency kind of, you know, what are our go-to somebody shows up at church or we're in an important conversation after evening church, but we need to get our kids home and get some food in them and get them to bed. What can we serve? You know, we can do pancakes, um, 
you know, we can always pull out some cheese and crackers and pop, make popcorn. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just oftentimes, but having some of those kind of quick recipes in mind, I think the O'Neill's, you know, spaghetti was one thing that I think they just kind of kept a couple pounds of ground beef frozen that were already browned, you Mm -hmm. know, they could dump into some sauce and cook up some noodles and here we go. And, you know, just that sort of, that sort of thing. So, sorry. I, oh, you had asked about the questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What kind of questions it, that flows out of um, sometimes feeling like we can have people over and we can do the work of getting food into them. And then they, you know, and you leave and you're like, okay, it was nice to be together, but what, mm-hmm. did we really, what did we really accomplish? And especially at a big group thing like that, I mean, there were probably, like I said, 18 or 20 people at that table that night. Does that sound about right, Joe? Yeah. Um, so, the, oh, and we've tried to train our kids to think ahead a little bit about questions, ask people also, you know, not just yes, no. Mm-hmm. To get them involved in, you know, how do you promote conversation at the table? Um, so some of the, I don't know, Joe can help me here. I, the kind of questions I remember being under people's plates would have been things like, you know, tell us about a book that's really influenced hmm. you or what's a happy memory from your childhood or what's the first job you had and, you know, as a kid um, what's been your favorite job you've had? Um, it, just things like that that might, like in a in a meal like that where you've got a room full of elders and elders' wives who do a lot of work together and think they know each other already, it can be helpful to just say, like, actually, there's stuff we don't know about each mm-hmm. other. And, um, you know, and just putting some thought ahead. And then people really enjoy, too, like in that one, you know, you've come up with, 20 different questions. I think everybody had two. Um, well, everybody's then really intrigued by, well, what's on my sheet mm-hmm. of paper? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, one thing I found helpful, Zondervan put out this little paperback book at some point in time. It's like called a thousand and one questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe, I, I, I have that. Maybe you're who I saw that with, but that's, yeah, that's been helpful to me because it is like, you know, helpful just a helpful list and i'll go through that thing before we have people over sometimes uh and just think through questions but yeah i'll just say um uh, david hansen's the uh most well he and ruth uh the most intentional and creative um people when it comes to probably hospitality and parenting uh that i think i've ever met but yeah i've uh just to say like I I was only at Southside for three years and I literally don't think I could count how many times they had us in their house. And I know they were having people in at all kinds of other times. And yeah, we were there from the full spectrum to the soup and salad after evening service to the, uh, that felt like we were in a five-star restaurant with, uh, with the elders dinner. And so, um, yeah, that's, it was, it was good. But I think, I mean, is that what you would kind of maybe counsel, a young pastor who's wanting to get into it, if I could maybe some, you know, perhaps simplicity and intentionality, um, would those be two kind of key words that, that, you know, cause I, I think, I think that's what I've gained from you is, is the intentionality. Like if you just actually just put 
a little bit of time. It doesn't even take that much. A little bit of time into thinking what you're going to do with somebody uh, before you have them over. And then also just keeping it simple um, and and not, uh, you know, it's kind of like the same thing with Bible reading. You know, people get into these, uh, you know, read the Bible and 60 days plan, and then they, they feel all this guilt when they fail. It's like, just, just turn the bookmark every day, you know, just move the bookmark, you know, uh, just helping people see that, oh, yeah, I can read my Bible every day, or oh, yeah, I can have people into, into my house or whatever. It, the the one thing I would throw out though is a caution to pastors or really anybody engaging in hospitality. I think you want to be intentional um, about it. it, and I think it's I do think it's helpful to think about you know what are some things we can talk about with these folks and some of that. But you also do not want to foster a situation in the congregation where people feel like, uh oh, I just got summoned. <laughs> to a meeting and yeah they're going to give me some spaghetti but <laughs> as the spaghetti's going down there's a confrontation coming mm-hmm. sure so mm-hmm. it's actually i i really appreciate it. we went through a, a book in adult sunday school and state college years ago um about you know how we can impact other people um, and help them to affect change in their life and the, the book really had a lot to say about confronting other people you know in kind of a Matthew 18 way and I had some people in the congregation who reacted pretty strongly to that and I I had actually picked the book but I hadn't read it yet I at first I was a little <laughs> defensive and then the more I reflected I really appreciated this people just said like Look back over the course of your life. Who's impacted you? And it, it hasn't primarily been through confrontation. Mm-hmm. It's been through people having you into their home, setting a good example. You know, people have let you into their life when they're parenting their kids. And you've said like, wow, I want, you know, I want to relate to my kids that way. Or, you know, somebody, you're taking along with somebody at breakfast. And it's not that they say to you, you need to shape up your prayer life as they start talking about the way that they pray and things that they're busy praying for. And it's like, oh man, like the Lord just spanked me. Like I need to step up my game here. And so in that regard, I think making sure once I mean, how I got here is saying, don't, you know, don't use your hospitality as a way to, you know, Hey, I think you're struggling with family worship. So I'm going to have you come over so that you can see how Mm -hmm. perfect I do it. Mm -hmm. Like don't do, you know, don't be that kind of a pastor, that kind of a congregant. That's not really showing love. That's not inviting people into your life. Um, So, you know, when you're coming to our house, you're, you're going to see some messes and you're going to, you know, maybe maybe we shouldn't move on before Joe starts telling stories about the real things you saw at the Hanson House. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I actually have a couple follow-up questions, if that's okay, kind of about something that you said. So, um, Joe, maybe what we do is I'll ask some of these follow-ups, and then you can pick the last uh, one of the last two questions um, as you see fit. So uh, the first follow-up is, you know, you'd mentioned kind of training your kids um, to help with hospitality. And in particular, you'd mentioned uh, asking questions. And it's something I was trying to get my kids to do. But then, you know, my boys end up asking questions like, who would win in a fight, Pepe Pig or Daniel Tiger? <laughs> uh, yes. right? Which is, you know, cute in and of itself. But w- what are some ways that, that you and your wife have gone about trying to train your kids uh, to help in that family endeavor of expressing hospitality? Yeah, so I, 
I think it's in my mind, it starts for us with our kids. Um, first of all, by teaching them to be helpful in the family all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so then when we have guests over and I say like, Hey kids, why don't you clear the table? They're not, well, what, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, they, mm -hmm. They're already, and actually I generally don't even say that to my kids. I signal it to my kids, mm -hmm. you know, that it's time to start clearing. And, you know, so the conversation just keeps going and you know, I just signal, okay, get the you know, get the plates out of here or whatever. But that's because they're doing that on a regular basis, and they're part of the they're contributing members of the family. Um, we've actually talked about that a few times. You know, we have a, our, our kids are a lot older now, and talking to our kids about, um, look, you know, you need to be contributors to this family. Like if you're if you're a net drain on the family that's really costing other people in the body of christ like that means that we're not able to do as much hospitality we're not as you know it's not as available to people so we want to invest in you we're here to love you and take care of you but you need to be you know there's certain things you can't do for our family like mm -hmm. pay the bills or something but there's a bunch of other things you can do and as you learned to, you know, produce in those ways, it frees us up actually to do more, more hospitality um, or, you know, just more, more ministry. Um, secondly, you know, so first is just be involved in the chores or in the, you know, daily life of the, the work life of the family. Secondly, I would say just really working with our kids to learn to be friendly. Um, so thirdly has been, um, trying to work hard with our kids to um, to be ready to share and to have a right view of their possessions. And what that's meant for us with our kids is we've actually tried to be sensitive to our kids about there are going to be toys that are special to you that you know, hey, we're having over a group of five year, you know, five, four and three, you know, family with a five, four and two year old tonight. It's okay to put away the Legos, you know, like to think ahead and say, you know, they're not ready to, you know, and they're going to destroy our special castle or whatever. Okay, fine. But what can you play with these kids when they come over, you know, and, and helping them? And, and so both allowing them to have, you know, stuff that they're not offering up to the general public all the time, but also to say, hey, let's be ready for, for playing with the kids or let's be ready to talk with the adults and what kinds of things, you know, what do you already know about these adults? Okay. You know that he works at this kind of a company. Well, you know, what, what's intriguing to you about that? What, what would you like to know about that company? Okay. Why don't you ask that, you know, or um, asking people about their, their experiences in the army or, you know, whatever um, it has been good for our kids. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm kind of taking notes because um, I think this is help like Joe and I say, we would do this podcast if nobody listened because we both benefit from it. So the, the three things that I heard as I was trying to write them down was one, just train your kids in regular rhythms uh, of life um, so that they pick up on that, whether people are in the home or out or, or not. Um, teach them that they're there to, to serve, not just to be served. And uh, three, 
maybe this was, maybe you did four, I don't know, but three kind of ask curious questions about their guests. So have a sense of curiosity about other people uh, and not just try and tell people about yourself, but get to know other people a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I appreciate that. That's helpful. That's something I think uh, I'll probably bring to my wife and maybe we can try to implement those. And then the the second follow-up, and you've, you've kind of even been articulating this as you've been answering all of these questions, uh, but could you briefly, if, if possible, um, take as much time as you need, but what's the difference between hospitality and, inter- and entertaining? To me, entertaining has, at least is an older kind of term, and it more has to do with putting on a show mm-hmm. and... Um, you know, making sure you have like the food just perfect and the, you know, everything laid out just right. Hospitality has much more of a, we're welcoming you into our life mm-hmm. um, and uh, mentality. And, and I think that's always a struggle, right? Because it, you, you want, I don't think it's wrong to say, well, we, we, you know, all things being equal, we'd like our house to be clean when people mm-hmm. come over. And I think there's even a comfort level for that, especially, I mean, depending on who you're trying to set people at ease for some people, having some piles laying there actually makes them, you know, more at ease for other people, you know, the cleaner it is, the better, you know, mm-hmm. the, the better they feel. Um, but, you know, trying to make sure that, you know, people aren't going to stick to the couch too badly, you know, even though we are raising seven kids. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, making sure we've got some nice places to sit or, um, you know, that the food is something that they're going to enjoy eating. You know, we don't, uh, there's great, we, we have so many great stories about, you know, times that we were serving Brussels sprouts or whatever, and we could tell that the guests weren't excited about you know, that or, um Anyway, we had an old chair once that you kind of sank down into a little bit and a bigger man came and it didn't look like it was that bad at first. But then, like, if you're just looking at it, you might choose to sit in this chair. (laughs) He sat down and went almost to the floor and he he was laughing about it, too, you know, but it was kind of, yeah, so... Mm. All right. Well, thank thank you for uh, indulging me in those two follow-up questions. Uh, Joe, I'm curious what you got for us. Sure. Yeah, we'll skip the uh, our flagship question, philosophy of preaching, because I think the other one will be um, more helpful. And we'll try and wrap this up in 10 minutes or so uh, to to respect your time. So do what you got to do with this. We'll slide in one of the mystery questions or something. Um, but pl- playing in to your uh, and again, I had the unique situation of sitting under your ministry for three years. And so I'm excited for other people to hear these things. I know you're a humble guy and you would never toot your horn in these areas, but but really a couple of the things that stuck with me that you've always been, you mentioned uh, Jerry O'Neill and Ann being a gold standard. And, and to me, you are in these last couple areas that we've talked about, I could speak of others, but uh, hospitality, but then also just your ability when I was there, just watching your example you talked about it, but then just watching your example and your natural ability to engage equally with the 90-year-old lady and the 9-year-old kid and the 16-year-old boy and the 4-year-old girl and the 40-year-old couple. And it, you just have this fluidity and ability to literally interact. And, and 
it was, um, I don't even know how intentionally you are about this or how much is natural or probably both, but just this even balance of how much, not that you're just able to interact equally with all of these couple or, or all, this variety of these members, but how you do so in a very balanced way. I was just always impressed by. So just curious, um, you know, Barry York pointed out in seminary, a lot of uh, the, the greatest pastoral texts always have a chapter on the varied um, groups that pastors need to minister to and the uh, intentionality and care that that takes. And so just curious uh, what you've learned about the importance of engaging with the the full spectrum of people under your care and just maybe also some very practical things that maybe you do think of. Uh, that, that that may be helpful for another young guy or just, again, anything you may want to say to a young guy in this area of ministering to the, the full spectrum of the congregation? Well, um, well, that's very humbling that you would kind of view me that way because I, I don't necessarily, I, I definitely have areas, certain uh, subsets of the population that I feel like I struggle more to relate well to or have to be, you know, more, more conscious about, um, I think for me, it starts with, and it's always convicting to think about, um, but just Christ's attitude toward people. And um, I remember being at a Sinclair Ferguson sermon at a Banner of Truth conference and um, him saying, um, if you don't love the people you're pastoring, what are you doing there? Mm -hmm. And there was just a group of us just like bawling our eyes out. I mean, it was just like so convicting because there's always people you're struggling to love as much. And there's, you know, people who, you know, just don't resonate, you don't resonate as much with. And, um, but, you know, Christ's love for the church. I mean, that's the gold standard. And then, on top of that, you add to that the fact that Christ Christ thinks and acts like that the bride is beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, who am I to act like the bride is not special or, you know, your gifts aren't, you know, your gifts aren't that exciting or aren't, you know, worth me valuing in some way. And so, for me, it starts with the fact that Christ is the one who picked this person to be a part of the church. And so I better, you know, I better love this person and better value them, or I'm questioning the eternal counsels of God. You know, mm. and, um, I have all sorts of reasons that I know why God had every excuse not to pick me. Right. All I can give you a thousand reasons why God would have been justified to say you don't get to be a part of this bride. And I don't have nearly as many reasons that I can list for you, you know, for any of the people in the congregation. So I think it for to me, it starts there. Um, I think it also then flows out of having experienced church life. But for instance, as a kid growing up here at Southside. When I was really young, the um, the oldest man in the congregation 
would have been, you know, up until like, let's say 1990, I don't think we had a man over the age of 50 in the congregation. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was a church plant. It was a lot of young people. And even the people I thought were like the older members, like I look back now, it's like, oh, wow, that guy was my age. You know, I'm 42 <laughs> now. I was like, whoa, like I thought that guy was like, so, so for instance, just seeing like the, the ballast, if you will, the maturity that the older saints bring to the congregation, their perspective on things, the just the sense of, you know, this too will pass. It's going to, you know, it, the, the mindset of, hey, the same baby who's crying in church today, five years from now, is going to be sitting there and it'll be fine, you know, and, it, you know, kids grow up. And then same thing, like with the kids of the congregation saying, like, where where would we be as a church if we didn't have kids? Mm-hmm. And just the, the enthusiasm that the kids bring, the 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 love that they bring, the excitement to be together, and we want our kids to grow up having happy memories of being in church together, and you know, growing up loving the Lord. Um, so I, I've been I've been blessed um, largely to serve in places. Um, where the congregation really wants to be together, you know, and people people love coming to church and look forward to it. And I think just making it a day of rest and worship and just kind of welcoming people into the family. Um, so I, I don't, you know, I and maybe along with that, if I haven't said it already, I think that um, genuinely finding people to be interesting and kids are interesting and 90 year olds are certainly interesting and you know just that there's great there's things to learn and to find out and um so i don't know you know that's a that gives you some something on that i don't know if that does that get you know that does um and and i that was another thing you mentioned there at the end um finding people interesting it's it's not only clear that you work at doing that, but that like you actually do as well. And that's another thing. Um, I remember, I mean, you remember my best friend, Dylan, that was coming there for a little bit and he brought his girlfriend to church that one day and you had us all in your guys's house for lunch. And I just remember it stuck out to me, your ability to ask her questions and to probe. And it was like genuine. It never felt like you're just like probing or just testing her. But, um, like you found her interesting and that, 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 that um, led to questions after questions after questions. And so that's always something I've caught from you as well. Like, you know, just asking people questions, because like you said, like people are interesting. Everybody's different. Everybody's got some different experience. They've done something different in life. The Lord drew them some way, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. So I think that is good. Finding people interesting and then actually acting on that, uh, desire to get to know people and to find out what's interesting about them. Cause like you said, they, they, they are in fact interesting. Um, and, and, and we should find them as such. So. I think it's so important to just remember, you know, by and large people are lonely. Yeah. Everybody wants to be loved. Like none of us feels like, man, I've just been too loved this week. Like, so people just want somebody to love on them someone who cares about them. Mm -hmm. And so like someone who's concerned, I mean, people are discouraged, people are hurting. And of course, you know, we know from the gospels, Jesus had a way of 
walking into a crowd and seeing that, right? He just knew the hurting people. He knew the discouraged people. Um, and he was concerned about that, even though he was, you know, he had every right to say like, hey, everybody, I need to be the center of attention right now. I'm the one carrying the real burden. You know, if you want to know what, you know, if you want to know what stress is really like, try living without sin for a week. Well, that's what I'm under, you know, for a lifetime right now. So just give me a little space, everybody. But instead, we just see he was sensitive to people and had a heart for them. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. All right. Well, we will. I was thinking about doing two mystery questions since you threw that challenge at us um, off off air, but we'll stick to the one because we need to get you out of here. And I think this one will be simple to answer. And again, this one, this says this is the first listener uh, initiated mystery question that I'm aware of, and this came from a young pastor. And so I'm I think this man is perplexed, and he really <laughs> needs to know what to do. And so he's 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 looking for wisdom here. And it's this, when you get a new book, dust jackets, toss them or keep them? Keep them. Keep them? I'm a keeper. Well, look at me. <laughs> if you're looking behind me, I mean, you can see me on the video. I've got I was them. already yeah. looking at that, so I already knew where you were going. I've been in your yeah. office, I don't know how many times. but Okay, you're going to have to help help me out with this. Um, so why, why keep them? Because I find them cumbersome. So what, what, do you, what do you particularly like about dust covers? They keep the dust off. They... <laughs> no, um, I, I don't know. I, I think it uh, it makes your bookshelves a little more colorful. That's nice, you know, which helps you distinguish between the different volumes uh, better. Um, sometimes there's information on the dust cover, different, you know, recommendations or whatever that that, uh, that you like to have. So, yeah, yeah you know, one thing if that they I... get ripped. But if they get ripped, you throw them away and don't worry about it. Yeah. So I think it's important. I, well, at least for me, I'm a uh, books are a tool, mm-hmm. not a collectible. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. certainly some pastors disagree with that. But to me, books are a tool and mm-hmm. they're, they're there to be used. Yeah, that's one thing I think uh, PNR, I think it's PNR who uh, put out the four volume bobbing set. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't have a dust cover, but it's got all the information printed on the spine. I, I love it. Your bobbing doesn't have a dust cover? Uh the, yeah, I don't think so. Maybe uh maybe it does and I haven't taken it off. Like I'm I'm pretty inconsistent. You can look at the oh no, see I have a different set. I've got a different set. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Joe's mm-hmm. examining me now, trying to look at uh, my books, but okay. Well that's that's not the uh direction I thought we were gonna go. I thought we were all unified on this, but man, I uh I was wrong here. See? Oh, give yeah, me another mystery question. That one was that's that's kind of boring. All right, who wrote Hebrews? Um, <laughs> I lean toward. Were you here when I preached Hebrews? Yeah, I think so. Okay, well, you, I'm sure you remember. I'm sure you remember every one of my sermons you've ever heard, Joe. <laughs> I do remember some very distinctly, but I can't confess I remember every single one. You know, actually, I leaned toward Luke as the author of Hebrews, and I think at the I I think at the end of the book of Luke, when there are two people on the road to Emmaus, and Luke only names one of them, I think Luke is the second, and just like in the book of Acts where he doesn't name himself, but he he switches 
into the from the you know they traveled to we traveled i think he writes himself into the background and i like to think and i mean i have no way of proving this right but i like to think that uh hebrews is a uh, a sermon that's built around what was discussed on the road to Emmaus mm-hmm. with the resurrected christ so i've heard too like um I don't remember who said it, but Luke, Hebrews, and Acts all have the most technical and similar Greek of of all of the New Testament books. And so that that is an argument that's used for Lucan authorship is the similarity to the Luke Acts. But I think you're right too, because I mean a lot of people think Mark's the little naked boy in Mark, you know, and that so that was a thing where you would usually write yourself in and that's how you would kind of show your authorship. So mm-hmm. how embarrassing mm-hmm. for Mark. Joe, what do you lean? I I like I go towards um uh, uh Paul, but I'm I'm open to Are you kidding me? No, I'm not how pedestrian of you. <laughs> you came yeah. to your cell side and you believe it's Paul? Oh Joe. Yeah. No, I said I lean towards Paul. There's clear Pauline phrases, but what but the 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 thing that I'm open to, just like Paul had a penman for Romans. That it was perhaps a Pauline sermon with with Luke as the penman, and I think that makes sense of both the clear, absolutely clear Pauline phrases in Hebrews, as well as the Greek similarities to um, Luke and Acts. So, if I was really pressed for the most nuanced view, it would be some sort of Pauline sermon recorded by Luke. Is uh, is Apollos on the table for us? As a potential yeah. author, not for is that, me. Is that your? Is that your? <laughs> that's uh, that's where again, who knows, right? But um, I I romantically would like to think so, because of you know Apollos being able to accurately show that Christ was or Jesus was the Christ from the Old Testament. Um, I think Priscilla and Aquila's um, tendency to disciple Apollos has to do with his relation to his intellectual ability like the apostle Paul. Um, so Joe, I don't think we're that different in one sense, but I don't know. Romantically, I'd like to think it's Apollos. Some are Apollos, some are Paul, some are Luke, who knows, right? Jesus does, but this has you know, been, something... no, go ahead. I was going to land us, I but say one fine. thing about Apollos. Yeah, Apollos, please do. Uh, one thing that I share with Apollos is um, it was actually a couple in the Bloomington congregation and Really, the wife I would say is the was the leading voice that helped get me on track with Christ-centered preaching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, praise God so, for that. Praise yeah. God for that. All right, this has been another episode of the Blue Banter Podcast, an anthology of pastoral theology. Our guest has been David Hansen, one of the pastors in uh, Southside RP on the South Side of Indianapolis. If you like this podcast, you can rate and review us on iTunes or whatever podcast catcher you use. You can share this episode on social media. If you have a question you'd like us to ask our pastors or like to suggest that we have your pastor on the podcast, you can email us at bluebanterpodcast at gmail.com, bluebanterpodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, whether you eat, drink, or banter, do all to the glory of God. Mm-hmm.